0: He has granted them according to his compassion, according to the abundance of his steadfast love. For he said, Surely they are my people, children who will not deal falsely. And he became their Savior. In all their affliction, he was afflicted, and the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and in his pity, he redeemed them. He lifted them up and carried them all the days of old. But they rebelled and grieved his Holy Spirit. Therefore, he turned to be their enemy and himself fought against them. Then he remembered the days of old of Moses and his people. Where is he who brought them up out of the sea with the shepherds of his flock? Where is he who put in the midst of them his Holy Spirit, who caused his glorious arm to go at the right hand of Moses, who divided the waters before them to make for himself an everlasting name? who led them through the depths like a horse in the desert they did not stumble like livestock that go down into the valley the spirit of the lord gave them rest so you led your people to make for yourself a glorious name look down from heaven and see from your holy and beautiful habitation where are your zeal and your might the stirring of your inner parts and your compassion are held back from me for you are our father Though Abraham does not know us and Israel does not acknowledge us, you, O Lord, are our Father, our Redeemer from of old is your name. O Lord, why do you make us wander from your ways and harden our heart so that we fear you not? Return for the sake of your servants, the tribes of your heritage. Your holy people held possession for a little while, our adversaries have trampled down your sanctuary. We have become like those over whom you have never ruled, like those who are not called by your name. Please turn also to the New Testament. Our text this morning is Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30. We'll begin reading from Ephesians 4.25 through verse 32. This also is God's holy word. Therefore, having put away falsehood, May we go to our God and ask for his blessings in the reading and also the preaching of his holy word. <clears throat> our loving God, we thank you, Father, for your word, the reminder that our sins grieve the Holy Spirit, that he is the one who is with us, given us as a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance in heaven. And Father, we think so lightly. We Even forget that our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. That the church, the body of Christ, is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Father, we pray that you would guide us by your word and spirit. We pray, Father, and thanks for your mighty work that you do through your spirit. To sustain us and guide us in our lives. And Father, we pray that we would learn what is pleasing to you. That we would desire to do it. Father, we pray. We pray for the good news of the gospel to go forward with power even this day. Father, we pray and thanks that you graciously receive sinners and that you remind us that we have true hope for forgiveness in our Lord Jesus Christ. That you did not uh, end there. That you gave us the deposit of your Holy Spirit to encourage us, to guide us, to renew us. We thank you for your provision. And we pray, Father, that your Son would be glorified. That your servant will be humbled. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen. (coughs) There is in English idiom, do not bite the hand that feeds you. So here, in many of the different languages people groups there are idioms that we obviously understand and this one means something like hey if someone is your provider uh, someone is feeding you giving you food this is a good thing if they're providing you nourishment and it's don't attack those people you ought to be careful not to bite the hand that feeds you here this is true uh, regarding our homes you think about your parents especially for little children and maybe even infants and toddlers, that the hand that feeds you may stop feeding you for a while if they have to bandage that wound. Here we think also as teenagers, right? The teenagers, it's very easy to find fault with parents because obviously they do everything wrong. Why do you do things that way? Why, 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 why do we do this the way we do? And hey, uh, we, the, the, the teens, they seem to have all the wisdom in the world combined, and, and the adults, especially the older you are, it seems like the less you have. Here, we apply this principle, do not bite the hand that feeds you, to the principle of our God. Specifically, the person and work of the Holy Spirit. It's so easy at times to forget that the Holy Spirit does the work behind the scenes. That he is the one who brings glory to the Son. The Son who brings glory to the Father, but the Holy Spirit oftentimes is forgotten. Some people claim, Frank, you don't believe in the Holy Spirit. Well, we do. We certainly do. That the Holy Spirit is the one that transforms us. He's the one who who gives life to sinners who are dead. He's the only one who can produce life. That no sinner can produce life in himself. And here we, we think about how it is our sins that grieve the Holy Spirit. And should we be grieving the Spirit, our God, who does the work in you and for you? When we think about how he is the pledge of our inheritance, how he is the seal of your redemption, that we should think twice about grieving the Holy Spirit. Here in this book of Ephesians, uh, the Apostle Paul presents our Lord Jesus Christ, our glorious Lord. And he presents his bride, the church, in all her glory as well. We think about the very foundation of this church. The foundation is none other than the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All doing work on behalf of his bride, the church. Uh, they make her beautiful. Think about the foundation, uh, the Foundation of the apostles and the prophets, the evangelists and pastors and teachers for the building up of the body of Christ. Here in this passage, Ephesians four, verse 30, we have grieve not the Holy Spirit by your sins, for he actively works within you and seals your salvation. Grieve not the Holy Spirit by your sins, for he actively works within you and seals your salvation. We'll look at this in two points. The first is the Holy Spirit grieves over your sins. And second, the Holy Spirit seals your redemption. So, the first point the Holy Spirit grieves over your sins. <clears throat> Here, we begin this section in Ephesians chapter 4. We had the transition from the indicatives all that God has done for you in Christ, the very foundation of your salvation, work of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That they have done this in all eternity, planned out in all eternity, fulfilled in time. And here we have transitioning from Ephesians chapter 1 through 3 into Ephesians chapter 4 through 6. And that section change is, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling of which you have been called. Chapter 4 verse 17, no longer walk as the Gentiles do that there was a way of life that you and I once had as Gentiles, as unbelievers. Uh, It involved willful ignorance, involved the futility of our minds, darkened understandings, involved a hardened heart and a callous conscience, a giving over to and being guided by sensuality that leads to greater impurity without restraint, that the Holy Spirit is the one who calls us from that life, an entirely different life a life led by the spirit a life that is guided by the word of god here we have in verses chapter 4 verses 17 to 24 a description about general imperatives and then verses 25 to 32 our current section he speaks about the specifics so some of these specifics would be that falsehood should no longer be part of our lives That we should no longer be involved in deception and defrauding. That new life means that your anger and the sinful pride that fuels it must die. That there must be an end to this sinful anger that springs up so easily. Regarding stealing, there's a completely different manner of life. That he who steals must steal no longer. But rather, he must be diligent in labor. And that he must work an honest job with his hands. And that he ought to share with those who have need. Here we hear also about this work of the Holy Spirit. That we should no longer grieve the Spirit. Instead that we ought to please him. So perhaps this verse. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. It first raises that question. That the Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is not an it. We don't refer to him. We we don't refer refer to him. We don't refer to it. That there were ancient heresies. And the way that heresies work. they, They are of old. And then they just kind of come back again. And after a hundred or a few hundred or thousands of years. And they come back again. And they do that. The heresies of old denied the person. The Godhead. That denied the Holy Spirit is God. They, they believed in the past that the Holy Spirit was merely a force or a power. But a force and a power doesn't grieve. And the, and the force and the power is not referred to as a person. But here we have the Holy Spirit is He. The Holy Spirit is God. You think about how the apostles in Acts 5 with the story about Ananias and Sapphira, how they rebuked these two people that they had sold their property and they gave some of the proceeds to the church, but they claim they gave all of the proceeds to the church and that Peter rebuked him saying that what tempted you to lie to the Holy spirit. And then in the following verse, he says, you have not lied to men, but to God, that the Holy spirit is God himself. You're reminded about the dwelling of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit does not dwell in the hearts of non-Christians, that uh, perhaps we can even say the Holy Spirit is not grieved by the sins of non-Christians. He's grieved by the sins of Christians, and it's because the Holy Spirit dwells in your hearts. He dwells in the hearts of Christians. First Corinthians 6, 19 or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? The Holy Spirit dwells in the hearts of his people. That if you are trusting in Jesus Christ, then God necessarily has given you the gift of the Holy Spirit. Here, when you think about house guests. Thanksgiving is coming up. Maybe you have family members coming from out of town uh, or perhaps to close friends when you think about house guests whether you have them for a day or a few hours or a few weeks the bottom line is there is a sense in which we as hosts in showing hospitality that uh, there are certain provisions that you make for your house guests for example for us uh, we run our home a little cooler, right? Uh, but when house guests come, uh, we might say, okay, well, we'll move it up a few degrees, right, for the benefit of our house guests because we don't mind being bundled up, but uh, we want to make it comfortable for others. Maybe there's a function of noise. Hey, children, you know, you shouldn't, you shouldn't start making noise until like after 8 a.m., right? So when normally they, they get up right away, they're already making noise. Uh, what about foods? Imagine if you had a vegetarian as a house guest. You know, it would be kind of odd if, if uh, you're, you're serving uh, a, a big pot of roast beef or, or something, right? You, you could imagine, hey, may, maybe this would turn, turn our house guests off and you would make some, some provisions. Hey, we shouldn't do that. Have you ever thought that in your hearts you have the Holy Spirit dwelling How often do we say, oh, there's nobody watching. I can do these things at home when I'm by myself. But is not the Holy Spirit indwelling you? And that accommodations being made to guests temporarily, how much more so that you and I should make provision and accommodation for the Holy Spirit who dwells with you permanently. Here, we also mention, notice that the Apostle Paul did not write here that the Holy Spirit don't anger the Holy Spirit. He says don't grieve the Holy Spirit. You notice how anger works. In general, anger foments more anger. That if something goes wrong... And you raise it with your friend, your neighbor, your family member. If you're angry, then the the chances are that, that the other person will respond also with anger. Just like if there is a, a car accident, a road rage incident, right? The, that if the other person responds angrily, that, that the first thing we should try to do is de-escalate it, right? And not respond back in anger because then you add fuel to the fire. You think about how this Holy Spirit works. It's not with anger. That... It's rather with grief. And with grief that there ought to be concern. Why is this person grieved? I've had a friend, uh, when I was single, he got married before me. And, uh, and he said, hey, uh, he had only been married a year, but he had said, hey, when my wife gets angry, that's easy to deal with. When she's grieved, that's much harder to deal with. And you think about how there are people in your lives Think about famous stories like like Augustine of Hippo, that his his life early on uh, was was not so holy. He wasn't so righteous of a young man, but his mother Monica, she was known as one who who constantly prayed for her son, uh, who grieved over him, and as an older man, as a as a. A faithful servant, a minister, a doctor of the church, that he would look back and he was thankful for the grief of his mother, that that was good for him regarding the life that he had later on. Here we think about how there might be people in our lives that we know grieve for us, and perhaps it's parents grieving for children, perhaps it's your pastor or your elders or your siblings. Or your friends uh, grieved over your sins here we ought to understand that for humans sinful humans right at times our our grief might be misplaced the grief is because of the shame it brings to the household well we shouldn't be grieving the shame we should be grieving uh the grief of the holy spirit and at times some people might even say hey uh there are sinful people who manipulate, so they use their anger to manipulate people. They use their grief to manipulate people. And and perhaps those things can be true. That As sinful people, we realize that our intentions are not always perfect. But you realize, with the Holy Spirit, there is never sinful motive or intent. His grief is always correct, only, always holy and righteous. And when you think about it, his grief will always be in proportion to your sins. Here we think about what grieves the Holy Spirit. The simple answer is, the sins of God's people grieve the Holy Spirit. And we think about some of these specifics, the sins that grieve him. We think about the habitual patterns of sins. Not so much the one time, but more so the habitual patterns of sins. Here we think about how there is this transition of old life, new life. The old self, put off the old self, put on the new self. And the Holy Spirit is grieved when there is in his people a refusal to live out new life in Jesus Christ. In Ephesians Four seventeen now this I say, and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds, but there must be a willing to part with it romans six four speaks about how that we have been called to newness of life that 's a symbolism of baptism that we 've been made new, and that he's called us to newness of life. here some people may talk about well wait a minute these habits of mine they're hard to break we'll see later on is that the holy spirit is one who brings the power of god into your life that he is the one who empowers you to break those cycles of sin and we're not even talking the the years of sins that you've committed the patterns of sin but he breaks the generational cycle so you, you might say hey this this has been with my family line for generations. And you ask, why well, I'm powerless to break it? Well, good. Good for you. You realize that you cannot change that. You cannot change the power of, of gravity. It's the Holy Spirit who alone breaks those cycles. Here, the Holy Spirit is grieved when you and I love ease and comfort. That when we get into a rut of uh, we like to do our our own things, we like to do our own habits, and you combine that with an unwillingness to suffer for the sake of Jesus Christ. We tend to become too comfortable that uh, we tend to get uh, familiar we tend to get comfortable in the world. Well, the world likes me, I like the world, and I like jesus too well the world, well the Bible warns us about this that we cannot be friend. Uh, God and the world. It's not possible. Here, you think about how Jesus suffered on your behalf. If you're trusting in Jesus Christ, that his life, his death, was suffering for you. And you ask, well, wait a minute, Jesus suffered on my behalf. Wouldn't it grieve the Holy Spirit if I love ease and comfort And I have no willingness to suffer on behalf of Jesus. Here, we think also about the grief that comes to the Holy Spirit because of the suffering and the misery that you bring on yourself. Here, we read earlier in Isaiah chapter 63, verse 9. In all their affliction, he was afflicted, and the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and in his pity, he redeemed them. He lifted them up and carried them all the days of old. That in all their affliction, he was afflicted. When you think about how sinful decisions, sinful patterns, it leads to heartache and it leads to misery and suffering for us. The decisions we make today have an effect on our future. The decisions that we make today have an effect on, on our children and grandchildren here i often describe ministry and it's ministry not just for people who are ministers but any type of ministry meaning that every christian's ministry you think about how we witness to people how how we are desired to be the light and the salt and and all of that ministry we would like to think That it's helping people to avoid the pitfalls of life. But you realize the reality is not helping people avoid these pitfalls for them not to step into it. But rather, the reality is you warn them, they step into it. And then you're there afterwards to help them through. To put the pieces together of their life when true suffering and true misery come you realize that that's, that's more often than not the description of, of how we minister to people picking up the broken pieces due to sinful choices and this is not in the manner of I told you so right but rather what did you learn along the way praying that they might come up with the right answers what, what did you learn Well, ultimately it's I learned that I made sinful choices these are the result of them I learned that God is faithful and patient, and that I've grieved the Holy Spirit. Here, the Holy Spirit is grieved over your divided hearts in your loyalty to Jesus Christ. Jesus, on the cross, paid in full for your sins. Past, present, and future sins, all paid for in full. He didn't pay a partial payment, and he says, okay, I, I paid part of it, you, you pay the rest. Or, I paid 90% of it, I leave 10% for you to pay. No, Jesus on the cross paid for entirety every one of the sins of his people. And wouldn't the Holy Spirit be grieved if you and I choose to follow Jesus Christ in any half-hearted way? You think about uh, a divided heart. Divided hearts, what happens when we have two masters? If we're following Christ and we're following the world. If we're serving Christ and we're serving wealth, according to Matthew six twenty-four. Here we think also about prayerlessness. The Holy Spirit is the one, we're told in Romans 8, that he's the one who leads us with groanings. Oftentimes we don't know what to pray for. And, and the Holy Spirit is the one who leads us and guides us in our prayers. But if we're prayerless, if we, if we labor diligently until we're out of breath and we're all out of ideas and nothing is left. And then we start to wonder, wait a minute, maybe I should have brought this before the Lord. See, this, these are the lessons that we learn in life all the time. But what we should be doing is bringing things before our God first rather than last. We think also about how the Holy Spirit is grieved uh, with sins that involve deception and lies because the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. Here in John sixteen thirteen, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. So the Holy Spirit is particularly concerned Uh, regarding the sins of lying, of deceiving, of defrauding. You think about the worst deception. The worst deception is self-deception. Have you ever seen this? You witness this in people where they're trying to deceive, yet all the people around them can see, hey, you're trying to deceive us, we're not deceived. And it seems like the only person you're deceiving is yourself. That's the worst kind of deception. When they, they, they think they're deceiving everybody... The only person they're deceiving is themselves. Here we have that command earlier in verse twenty five therefore having put away falsehood, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor that we have a duty to, to be promoting and speaking the truth, not, not just with other Christians. Some religions claim that truth is required for Christians or, or, or people of the same religion, but we're required to bear testimony of the truth. To everyone. Here. The Holy Spirit is also grieved by sins against the unity and peace of the church or among brothers. Ephesians chapter 4 verses 1 through 3. I therefore a prisoner for the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. With all humility and gentleness with patience bearing with one another in love eager to maintain the unity of the spirit. In the bond of peace. Eager to maintain the unity of the spirit. And the bond of peace. That we should be looking to preserve the peace. And the unity between brothers. And within the church. Here we also have some specifics. That the Holy Spirit is grieved by corrupting talk. That leads others astray. There in verse 29. He's grieved by sinful anger. That gives the devil a foothold. That gives the devil an opportunity. Here. The Holy Spirit is also grieved when you and I seek glory for ourselves rather than glory for Christ. So we ask, instead of grieving the Holy Spirit, what ought we to be doing? We ought to be doing instead is that we ought to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. That the Holy Spirit is the one who is within us. That we've been given the word of God, Jesus, who is the word, and that it is clear to us, according to God's word, how then we ought to live. And that we ought to keep in step with the spirit. That we ought to live according to the spirit. That these are the things that are pleasing to him. He's told us in his word that we ought to obey our Lord Jesus Christ. That we ought to uh, follow the Holy Spirit's leading, and guidance in our lives. So this is the first point, the Holy Spirit grieves over your sins. The second point, the Holy Spirit seals your redemption. The second half of verse 30, the Holy Spirit seals your redemption, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Here, the work of the Holy Spirit is described as a seal. And I want to clarify that the sealing work of the Holy Spirit For all of you who are trusting in Jesus Christ, it is not a work that comes in the future, rather is a work that was done in the past. In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire a possession of it to the praise of his glory. So this is a seal that happened in the past for you who are trusting in Jesus Christ. And you ask, well, what does the Holy Spirit's seal do for you? It's uh, preservation. It's preservation until the day of redemption, until the day of Christ's return. Perhaps right now you are starting to uh, consume the... uh, the jarred vegetables, or if you didn't jar them, you you're eating the canned ones, right? But then here we also have the uh, the benefit of uh, jet flown plants, right? So the you can get get vegetables grown in the lower hemisphere of the world, and and they they fly them here to to uh, to Minnesota, where we can have fresh vegetables any time of the year to some some degree. You you pay for it though. But if you think about the canning, this jarring process, the heating up. The the only way that the jarring, the canning process works is if the seal is maintained. The seal is not broken. So also you think about the seal for you. We have in our Lord Jesus, we have the one and only perfect sacrifice. You have in our Lord Jesus, your perfect righteousness. And you would think this would have been enough From our God as a gift. Sinner, here, here is my son. Nailed to the cross on your behalf. Repent and believe upon him for eternal life. For the forgiveness of your sins. That we would be those who say, God, this is an exceedingly great offer for us. We will gladly accept. We will trust in him. His righteousness given to us. And our sins placed upon Him on the cross. And in that situation, we should say, this is great, this is enough, but God says, no, it's not enough. I don't want to give you my Son, I give you the Holy Spirit, because it's, it's as if He's saying, hey, you're going to forget that so easily. And, and in your life, hey, you're, you're going to fall into all kinds of discouragements, because I'm giving you the preservation the seal of the Holy Spirit that secures, that guarantees all these things, that seals you until the day of of pardon, until the day of redemption. This is the work of the sealing of the Holy Spirit. It's a promise. It is a pledge. It is a guarantee of the inheritance in heaven that's already yours. Here, we need to think about order. And we need to think about, hey, if If the Holy Spirit is given as a guarantee, as a pledge, as a promise that you have an inheritance in heaven, what does that first mean? It first must mean that the condemnation that was once on you is no longer on you. How can you have an inheritance in heaven if you're still being judged and condemned for your sins? I hope you can see the order. If there is an inheritance, if there's a place Jesus says, I have gone to prepare a place for you. What that means is, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. See, this is, this is the added security for you to understand. You see, your sins are already forgiven in Christ. And this is how sure they are that they are forgiven, is you've been given an inheritance. Your place is in heaven. We think also about the attestation. Perhaps... Sometimes you wonder, God, the promise that you have made for us sounds so good that it's too good to be true. It's too good to be true. Well, he gives you the attestation for your assurance. The Holy Holy Spirit testifies with your spirit that you are children of God. You have that in Romans 4. Sorry, Romans 8, 14 to 17. Holy Spirit is there attesting that God's people are adopted as sons and daughters. You think about comfort. You fly Delta. You fly United. Do you think they're concerned about your comfort? Of course they are. They want your money. They want you to buy their ticket. But do you think God is concerned about your comfort too? Certainly. That's why he gives you the gift of the holy spirit that it's not only your safety and your salvation but he's concerned about your comfort about your peace about your satisfaction in life here we think about why the father the father and the son sent the holy spirit to you who are in jesus christ the holy spirit is given to his people so that there might be spiritual life for us who are dead sinners. Titus 3, five. For he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Nobody gives life to themselves. It is the Holy Spirit that gives you spiritual life. That he is the one who opens the eyes of the blind. He is the one who, who unplugs the ear of the deaf. He's the one who gives new hearts that we cannot do. That is the gift of the Holy Spirit. The gift of the Holy Spirit is also for the work of illumination. It's called shining the light, shining the light on us. That outside of the work of the Holy Spirit, you and I would merely walk in darkness; that we would stumble and fall every step of the way. But God gives the gift of the Holy Spirit, so that you might be able to see that you would walk in the light. First Corinthians two twelve. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. So the Holy Spirit is the one who helps you to say, Hey, the things that God gives you—they're priceless. You cannot, you cannot get them from the world. You can't buy them. You can't buy them on Amazon. The Holy Spirit gives you things that you cannot acquire any other way. And by his work, you see, wow, God, the gifts you've given me, the blessings you've shown to me, they are priceless. They are invaluable. There's nothing better than the things that you have given me, God. We can have inheritances from, from grandparents and parents. And distant relatives, but only God is the one who gives these gifts, such as the Holy Spirit. Here, the Holy Spirit has been given to you for his abiding presence in your life. Do you ever struggle with loneliness? I've talked to people who have so many children. So many relatives they could be in a house full of people, yet they still struggle with loneliness, and we, we wonder, how can that be? And then there are other people who are all alone, but they 're not lonely because they have the Holy Spirit's abiding presence. You think about what Jesus had said, John fourteen: sixteen, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper." To be with you forever. Think about a house guest staying with you forever. Well, that's a lot of hospitality. That's uh, a lot of entertaining. That's a lot of accommodation. But you ask. Do you desire to have the Holy Spirit with you forever? Because that is what Jesus asked on your behalf That the helper, the counselor, the advocate would be with you forever. And that is your cure for loneliness. Here we think also about why the father and the son gave you the spirit. Is for his power in your life. But this is the way my family has done it for generations. This this is the family business. You you think about the... you know, the, the heavy hands, right? Uh, this is my family business. I, you mean I have to leave it since I became a Christian. How am I going to change that? Romans eight eleven, If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Well, I have no power to change these bad habits of mine. Well, what is that verse? What does that word tell you? The Holy Spirit's power is at work in your life. Don't tell me it can't be done. Oh, it's not going to be done by your power, not overnight, not when you want it. It's on God's timeline, not yours. So that you might know it's not by your power, it's by his power. Don't complain about a lack of power. The Holy Spirit's power is at work in your life. Here also, the Holy Spirit has, given, has been given to you, his people, God's people, to teach you. John fourteen twenty six. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. I ask you, people of God, are you willing to be taught by the Holy Spirit? he is one who is a wise teacher he is that still small voice meaning that if you're shouting if you're arguing if you're loud if you're obnoxious the holy spirit is not one to shout over you he's going to wait until you are in a place where you're ready to listen and oftentimes that will be when you and i are exhausted and we're weak and we're saying my energy is all spent. Now what? And the Holy Spirit is there. Now do you want to learn? Are you willing to listen? And at that point, of course, we're saying, okay, yes, now you got my attention. Holy Spirit is also there to comfort you. Jesus said, John fourteen twenty seven. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. Is fear in your life robbing you of the comfort that you and I should have in Jesus Christ, in our God? You realize that the Lord is concerned about your comfort. That means the Lord is concerned about your anxiety and fear. Especially when we have such great, exceedingly great promises from our God. Comfort should drive out that fear. It should drive out that worry. It should drive out that anxiety. The Holy Spirit is also the giver and supplier of your joy. The Christian life was never designed to be drudgery. If ever we're thinking about it as drudgery, we need to think about what the Holy Spirit is doing in your life. He's there to give you joy in Jesus Christ. He's there to provide you joy. Even in the midst of suffering, we're told, 1 Thessalonians 1.6, that in the midst of suffering for Christ, the Holy Spirit especially then grants us joy. So here, we go back to this idea. Why is it that we grieve the Spirit again? When we think about what the Spirit does for us, the Holy Spirit, why God gave the Holy Spirit, While you have the Holy Spirit, we should be asking the question, why are you and I grieving the Holy Spirit? The answer is we should not be. We should be seeking to please him. You think about Psalm 51. You think about David writing in his sin. And he makes this statement, take not the Holy Spirit from me. And you ask, well, hey, does this mean that someone can lose the Holy Spirit? I don't think that's what the verse teaches. Well, then you might say, well, why is he talking about a hypothetical that can't happen? Well, what we ought to understand is that God is one who who oftentimes, out of discipline, the attesting work of the Holy Spirit, that we are children of God, the the conscience that we have uh, comes to trouble us. That if we're walking according to the ways of the world, we should be wondering, am I really in Christ? And that what God does, he starts to pull away some of these benefits that the Holy Spirit provides for his people. And it's particularly then that we start to question, we start to wonder, and, and the comfort and the joy and, and all the good things that the Holy Spirit provides, who's grieved over us in our sins, that it gets our attention. And that you and I ought to be wondering, are we grieving the Holy Spirit and the things that we think in the lives that we live, in the things that we say, and how we're spending our time. Here, we think about this timely reminder. Grieving of the Holy Spirit, the warning about it, it is a reminder about your and my proper motivation in life. Are we doing what we do? Are we living how we live to please men? To obtain the praises of men. Or are we seeking to please our God? Here. The matter of grief of the Holy Spirit. Is concrete proof. That God certainly does care about your life. Your daily choices matter. They matter immensely. They matter immensely to our God. The choices that you make each day will have an effect, not just for tomorrow, or next month, or next year. They'll have an effect on the generations to come. Here, this word is also a reminder to you and to me about the generosity and the provision of our God. That our God thought not only about your salvation, but he thought about your growth. He thought about your joy. He thought about your comfort. He thought about your safety. And he thought about everything that you need to do to thrive in the Christian life. And that's why he gave you the gift of the Holy Spirit. May we go to our God together in prayer. Our Lord God, we thank you, Father.